VanCast for you as we've got ourselves a brand new series. Jeff Patterson, Thomas Drance. It is the VanCast, and we've been doing this after every Canucks game in the postseason, but they went back-to-back. Drancer, hey, the last time we did this, uh, everything was wonderful in Canucks uh, land with a, a 2 nothing series lead against the defending champs, but the St. Louis Blues, and particularly Ryan O'Reilly, have arrived in this series, and all of a sudden a best-of-seven has been boiled down to a best-of-three. Yeah, we should probably just do this just for the... Canucks fans out there that listen to us, we should probably make sure we're doing this after every game now, right? Yeah. <laughs> pretty much on us. Uh, look, the Canucks played pretty badly, I thought. I mean, I just don't think they had nearly enough in game four. Uh, you know, it's amazing this back-to-back set, right? Because the Canucks go from being a shot away from putting the Blues into a 3-0 series stranglehold in overtime in that third game and then within 27 hours like probably within 21 hours at the end of that game it's a 2-2 series game on best of five or best of best of three um look it's gonna be tough like i don't know who thought defeating the blues was gonna be easy there might have been a chance in this weird season that if the canucks had won that overtime game uh game four might have looked really different but they're getting the top of the Blues lineup as motivated and as dominant as can be. And it's going to be really tough for them. They just don't have an answer right now to that St. Louis top line. Well, look, the beauty of any playoff series is the deeper it goes, the more storylines emerge. And we're knee-deep in storylines now. And and you're right. Give the Canucks credit for doing what they did in the first couple of games and the power play, which has absolutely been a killing machine. And we've talked about that. Like, to see the Canucks go 0 for 7 in a game, and and more than that, to go 0 for 7 with just 8 shots on goal in over 12 minutes of power play time. Like, the power play's been their bread and butter. We saw the 5 goals in Nashville. We saw them score 4 in Los Angeles in a game. We saw them score 3 in a game earlier in this series. Yeah. And so, you know, in some ways, it... like. It was hard for my mind to compute just because we have seen the top of this Canucks lineup come through consistently all season long on the power play. And they were lamenting the fact that they didn't get many power play opportunities in game number three. And the Blues ended up winning that one in overtime. The Canucks were hoping to draw penalties. They did just that. And then a complete power outage. I mean, that didn't look like the Canucks that you and I have covered all season long. No, it didn't. And, you know, I didn't think they got enough out of you know, especially that bumper spot. Like, I really do think at the end of the day, there's a reason that Bo Horvat led the team uh, overall in um, power play scoring. Like, his contributions are absolutely crucial there. Uh, They got one shot attempt from Bo Horvat, uh, five on five, five on four. And look, he's not the guy who's holding the puck, right? Like, it's not on him that they only generated one shot attempt out of that bumper spot in seven tries. Uh, it's sort of on the puck movement to him. I don't think it was quick get quick enough getting to him. Honestly, last night was the first night that I thought, boy, this team's really missing Tyler Toffoli. And, and not just because Tyler Toffoli's a really good playmaker out of that down low spot on the power play, but also just because, you know, having an additional veteran guy, an extra guy who drives play, a guy who for sure would have just taken four shots, even from bad angles, and just tested Jake Allen, right? Like, I just don't feel like Jake Allen had to work for it last night. And if I'm the Canucks, I'd be pretty frustrated by that. Right, and and look, you talk about the puck movers, and so this isn't pointing fingers, it's just the reality of Quinn Hughes is this wizard, and the guy's allowed to have an off night. And, you know, 
I thought he struggled just keeping pucks in, like routine plays when the puck came back to him a couple times, skipped over his stick, whether it was bad ice, whether it was just a, a mental lapse, but things that we haven't seen from a guy like Quinn Hughes, I thought it was way too perimeter driven, uh, as you talked about. And, you know, Brock Besser, who is now part of this power play because Toffoli's not, you know, Besser had two shot attempts, just well, he had two shots on goal on both of his attempts. Uh, in the first period and after that. So, you know, Horvat wasn't really involved. Besser wasn't really involved. Uh, it was sort of Miller to Hughes to Pedersen, back to Hughes and, you know, to the yep. outside. And the Blues were happy to leave it there. And so, uh, again, like we've seen this Canucks power play all season long. If they are able to manage seven power plays again, I like their chances to convert. That's not to say that they're going to win hockey games. The thing for me, Thomas, and you were in building, so perhaps you have a different perspective, was like... You know, they got smothered in Game 3, right? Mm -hmm. Like, they could barely come up for air, even though they were just that one shot away. And I had said throughout the day on the radio, I think I said it on Twitter as well, that, you know, even if they went down to defeat in Game 4, like, it just it couldn't look and feel like it did in Game 3, where the Canucks couldn't get their head above water. I really liked their first period. I thought, you know, they forced play. They came out. They spent time in the St. Louis end. They drew penalties. And that's where they want to put it in the hands of their power play. The power play kind of let them down. But again, the opening 20 minutes, it's funny. I mean, it's hockey, right? Like, I thought the Canucks' first 20 minutes was really good. For the first time in the series, the Blues opened the scoring. So, you know, sometimes there are those kind of nights. And when they score 40 seconds into the second period, I thought, all right. Like, we've seen this before. You know, it's the lotto line. It's Miller with the deflection. Uh, they're into it. They can hit reset, and now it's game on. Unfortunately for them, you know, that was the highlight of the night right then and there. But again, I, I like the first 20 minutes and 40 seconds from the Vancouver Canucks, even in a losing cause. Absolutely. And and look, I thought, for example, that some of the adjustments that the Canucks made, you know, worked, right? Like, that was Ryan O'Reilly, the Ryan O'Reilly's line's quietest game, five on five. Um, you know, the Blues still outshot the Canucks 10-4 with O'Reilly on the ice. So, you know, take that with the heap of salt it deserves. O'Reilly right now is an absolute beast. Actually, I've got a piece running on The Athletic. It'll run shortly. But Alex Pietrangelo had a comment post-game where he said, as good as he is and as much attention as he is, there's all these little things he does that, you know, people don't appreciate. So I went deep into the Ryan O'Reilly video box, uh, pulled out some, you know, clips of some things. But... Honestly, it was a sequence when Ryan O'Reilly was in on the power play, though, where he just stick lifted Edler like seven times in a row, and it was and I was just like, oh my god, like I couldn't believe it, JPAT. I went and I slowed down all the moments where O'Reilly lifted his stick it, for this video. I'll, I'll tweet it out when I tweet out the article, and it just like it just looks like such a massive pain in the ass to play against this guy. Like he's just relentless, cruel, so strong, so good on his stick, so smart. Um, truly unbelievable. But Bo Horvat, Bo Horvat, Ryan O'Reilly, eight minutes head to head, five on five. The Blues outshoot the Canucks three, uh, four to three. That's good. That's that's improvement. Like that worked. Yeah. Uh, but you know the thing that speaks m the loudest to me, and and I'm going to make a request of you that may make you uh, that you may not in like particularly, but I'm, I have to do <laughs> <Okay>. it. So <laughs> I'm so bracing I, myself. <laughs> yeah. No, you should. I'm just setting you up for this. You know. I think about this play, JT Miller's tied the game, and the puck goes into the Canucks' end of the ice, and I'm not exactly sure what happens, but Tanev and Edler both go to the left side of the rink to Markstrom's, to Markstrom's left, 
and they're too close together. And Ryan O'Reilly, because he's an absolute monster and a thief of hearts, skates to Tanev's left, right? Like he is skating at Tanev, right? He's he's telegraphing like he's going to hit him on the forecheck, but he's got his stick with that weirdo curve and it's long to his, the left of his body, and he just waits for Chris Tanev to make the pass. And, and Tanev makes an uncharacteristically sloppy pass, and Ryan O'Reilly picks it off, as he's wont to do, because you can't even make a simple pass within 10 feet of the guy. And Quinn Hughes makes two quick stick checks at him. He gets low because he's you know really good at protecting the puck. Those stick checks are completely ineffectual. And sends a 40-foot saucer backhand pass to Marco Scandella, who's, like, changed. Like, he comes over the blue line to receive this just perfect, slow backhand sauce. And from that point until Ryan O'Reilly's game-winning goal, the game was played in the Blues' end, like or in the Canucks' end. It was just chance after chance, four consecutive heavy shifts. Quinn Hughes got caught on the ice. Uh, uh, another forward, Tyler Maud, ends up caught on the ice on that shift. Like, they just completely disrupted everything, and it all sort of came from that. And it just occurs to me that with the way the Blues play and how mean, physical, veteran they are, like this Blues team's leaning heavily on O'Reilly, but from David Prawn to Sammy Blay, on and on down the line, you know, this Blues team has made sure to finish checks and forecheck hard. And I do think, especially in the second leg of back-to-backs with Tyler Myers out of the lineup, you know, that's beginning to have a cost for the Canucks, right? Like, I do think that the D are getting worn down a little bit. And on the other side of it, I just sort of look at the Blues' defense and feel like they've had an easy series, relatively speaking. Like, there haven't been the hits on Blues' D, borderline hits, like we've seen Chris Tanev take, like, like the one that put Tyler Myers out. And you can blame officiating all you want. I know Canucks fans were eager to do so yesterday, despite the power play going 0 for 7. Uh, despite the fact that, honestly, I didn't think it was a, a game that warranted significant criticism of the officials, personally. Um, you know, I, I, there were some missed calls both ways, in my view. Um, I know the Blues weren't happy that Antoine Roussel didn't get the extra roughing minor. Right. But, yep. you know, when I think about, for example... Everything that we'd heard going into this series about being built for the playoffs, Jake Vertanen, right? And just the fact that this, with his speed, with his size, you know, can you think of a big hit he's laid on a Blues defender? Because game five, game six, game seven, that's sort of where it pays off. Like, that's where being smart and disciplined enough to play mean, to play physical, to forecheck hard, starts to pay off. Like... Whether you're scoring or not, whether you're getting minutes or not, if you play like that with any level of consistency, uh, boy, like, does, does that help your team? Like, it really helps your team. And, you know, I think Roussel's done his best. He hasn't had a ton of ice. He's not as fast. Uh, I, think, I think Zach McEwen's had moments where he's been able to do it. I don't think we've seen any of that out of Jake. We also saw Jake on PP2 send that one pass that made Tanner Pearson stand up. Did you see that? Where Tanner Pearson's entire body just, like, got frustrated? <laughs> Did you, do, you remember, do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. It's, it's yeah. tremendous. And, and so, you know, I think we're at a point in the series, considering all of what I've just laid out, 
it's time. Like, I, I want to make an official ask of you, and I, I don't do this lightly, but I, I, but I think you got to give Jake Vertanen an official do something. Yeah, I like I I generally, <laughs> and I hear you loud and clear. I generally reserve my do somethings for guys, you know, for whom I I have expectations, and I just wow. I don't know. Like, beneath you know, for beneath all the, the standard of a do something, right? Like wow. in okay. the preseason, you know, preseason I'll go to a guy who's on the bubble, and you know, maybe it's his last chance to impress and make the team. I'll go a little deeper, but I generally go with guys like in the second game of the series, my do something was Bo Horvat who would come off game one where he was the best player on the ice because I just, I might do something was, you know, do more of that, serve it up. And he did like, right. He backed up game one with the, another performance in game two. He's, he's actually uh, played really well. Well, the top of their lineup has like, yeah. And, well, and this is, I don't know. The lotto line has not had a particularly good series. I don't think. I mean, I, I know that. Like, they definitely haven't, right? Well, at evens, or, I mean, like, this came back to this whole thing about Pedersen, who, you know, there hasn't been a whole lot of flash to his game, and yet, after game three, Pedersen had, he was in on both goals, uh, you know, an electric pass to Spring Miller, and then the, the, the response goal after Perron had scored, and Elias Pedersen left game three with nine points, and was behind only Sebastian Ajo, and you and I have talked about this, that, you know, yeah, maybe there have been flashier guys, Horvat and Quinn Hughes, and yet Elias Pedersen has just been ruthlessly consistent, Yes, and, you know, I, I think JT Miller's had his moments, it's been a little quiet around Brock Besser, but... You know, it brings into question roster construct. It always comes back to that for the Vancouver Canucks. And, yeah. and so, you know, if the top-end guys aren't scoring, it's this is my real issue. And I tried to ask Travis post-game, and he didn't want to engage, and that's fine. I get it. You know, whatever he says at the podium, they didn't lose because of anything the coach said at the podium. And, you know, what he tells his team and what he tells us for public consumption, probably two totally different things. But there's just no expectation of offense in the bottom six with this group right now, right? Like it's get out there, tread water, don't get scored on. And that represents a success and hope that your top end guys will do all of the heavy lifting. And it's not like they're getting outscored by guys lower in the blues lineup. This has been a series of the stars, right? Like the star power has come through on both sides. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it, I mean, yeah, Sammy Blay scored a goal earlier in the series, but, you know, they're not getting crushed by Oscar Sundquist and, and those kinds of guys. So it's just that if the Canucks don't, like, look, the last couple of games, the Blues have got goals from defensemen. Troy Stetcher scored early in the series. The Canucks won that game. Justin Falk scores. Petrangelo got a bit of a fluky bounce off Edler. But, you know, the depth for the Blues right now is goals from defensemen, and they were the highest scoring team in the NHL in the regular season in terms of goals from the defensemen. So it's a huge part of their offense. I'm not surprised that we're starting to see a little bit of offense from their defense as this series rolls along. But it's just to me, it's that there is no expectation whatsoever. Like, And that brings it back to Jake. Because if there was a guy in the bottom six that you know had potential to give you something, it might be Jake Vertanen and those 18 goals that we all talk about in the regular season. Uh, he hasn't looked like an 18-goal scorer at any point. And just hasn't looked like he has any thought of offense. And, you know, I go back to the Minnesota series. Roussel chipped in with a goal. Sutter scored a big goal in the elimination game. Chris Tanev, of all people, scores the dagger goal, right? Like, we talk about getting a contribution here or there. It can't all be on three or four guys. Like, that, that's just, it's ne- that's not going to work. It's a team game, and there's just way too much pressure 
applied to the Canucks' top-end guys right now to score all of the goals for this hockey club, and that's not a, a recipe for success. No, you're dead on. I, I couldn't agree with you more. And, you know, I, I think that I think that you're right. I think that this team needs a, a, a little bit more offense, and, and they need a little bit more snarl. Like, yeah. I, I do think that that matters too. Um, you know, this... You, you can't just have guys checking and being in position. Uh, you know, the, there needs to be some, some, you know, some spine out there. And, and not that the Canucks are playing spinelessly, just that we know which team's the more physical team. And I do think that it's going to show. Uh, and it's going to show on Vancouver's defense as this series goes along. And, you know, that's got to be a concern. Like, that's got to be something that this team looks at and sort of reevaluates. It's not just adding offense and talent to the bottom six. And it's not even just adding some, you know, additional heft to wear down an opponent as a playoff series goes long. It's also getting cheaper, right? Like, it's also doing it within more efficiently than they've done it to this point, you know, against the cap in a world where, you know, the cap's not rising and you're not getting relief there. And Pedersen and Hughes are going to be more expensive. And... Boy, like it's like it's going to be a tough order, and look, I think it's I think it was a fair question. I understand why Green, yesterday, you know, is in defend his team mode. I'm sure there's a lot of disappointment in that locker room uh, to have been as close as they were in that third game, to be at this point where you're level with the defending champs. Like I'm sure the odds feel longer now than they did at the outset of the series. Even though, you know, if you told this team back in September, uh, I mean, back in back two weeks ago that you'd advance past Minnesota and, and be tied 2-2 with St. Louis. Uh, I mean, I think everyone takes that, right? But I'm sure the odds feel long in that room after last night. Uh, I'm sure that today will be a, a reset day and, and, you know, that they'll be speaking in more confident tones on the other end. But, boy, um, you know, I, I do understand why Greener sort of would have approached it that way. And, and I do tend to think it's a bit of a tell on his end. Um, you know, about where he thinks his team's headspace is at. Right, and that's why it's important. They're in a 2-2 tie with the Stanley Cup champs. They did well to get those first two. We kind of all figured that the Blues would show up. There's going to be plenty of time for post-mortems if this thing slips away. So, you know, we, we won't get into, you know, the big picture issues that are facing the hockey club. I mean, mm-hmm. we're breaking down this series and what we've seen so far. And I go back to... The JT Miller goal. Like, again, yeah. I like the first shift of the second period. And Patterson had a chance, and he looked like he was in a shooting position. He tried to dish off. Uh, he would have been better to shoot the puck, but the Canucks stayed with it. It gets back to the point. Edler with the shot, and Miller the deflection. And I'm thinking, okay, like, here we go. Best guys. Again, we've seen this repeatedly. Best guys come through. It's a one-all tie. I think it was the Lotto Line's next shift, and you alluded to it earlier. It was the shift where Hughes was on the ice for two minutes and two seconds. Yes, exactly. That's the whole game were, right there. Exactly. Okay. That's how I saw it too because they were getting the matchups. It was the Canucks top line against the loose fourth line and the Canucks could not get out of their own zone and that's where the ice absolutely tilted and it went right back to looking like it did for so much of game number three. 100%. No, 100%. And, and you're right. That five-minute stretch in the second period... And it starts with a Ryan O'Reilly forecheck. It ends with that Ryan O'Reilly goal. Like that was it. That was that's where the that's the meat of the game, and that's where it was won. And then obviously, by the time you get those penalties, um, you know, 
and then 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 it's over. Then it's out of reach. And you know the Canucks still had their chances in the third. Like they still had a chance. Um, but but it but it never it never felt like the result was in doubt at three one. Like it was only a two goal lead. Markstrom played unbelievably to keep yep. it a two a two goal deficit. Excuse me. And it just it just never felt like it was in doubt. And and that's partly like we call we call Louis Erickson more milk, right? Well, how do you think how do you think the Blues feel when they have Ryan O'Reilly out there, right? <laughs> like, like I don't know how you supersize warm milk, but or, or how it exponentially gets more comforting. But whatever the most comforting thing in the world, that must be what it feels like to play with the lead and have Ryan O'Reilly on your team. Like boy. Ryan O'Reilly, Ryan O'Reilly to me is like this giant bowl of chicken soup, <laughs> and maybe a couple of chocolate chip cookies. On the Ooh. side, like I'm not sure that those are necessarily a, a great match, but I know for me that would be comfort food right there. But no, like like Ryan O'Reilly is just this beast right now, and maybe it's because we're watching him night out, night in, night out, play against the Vancouver Canucks. Like I watched from afar. I don't know that I watched the St. Louis Blues critically on their run to the Stanley Cup. The guy won the Con Smythe, right? So, you know, clearly his game was at or near this level, but it just, like, it feels to me like he has dialed it up here in this series, which is unfortunate for the Vancouver Canucks, but for a hockey fan to watch a guy at the top of his game and, you know, you, you lay out that first shift and I'm looking forward to your piece because I can't get enough right now. Like, I, I can't get enough Ryan O'Reilly, quite frankly. I'm sure the Canucks feel they've had too much, but, you know, even on his goal... That second goal. Yes. You know, they oh. dump the puck in. Oh. There's a little bit of hesitation from Stetcher. Edler comes over. Edler gets caught on the wrong side of the ice. But it's the way the Blues support the puck so well. Like, it's just another example of O'Reilly and Perron. Like, two of their best players, two of their best offensive players. And they just get in and they get so damn greasy and win puck battles. And eventually, you know, it's Canucks defense get trapped and... The wrong guy has this golden path to the front of the net. And, you know, you just knew there was no way that Ryan O'Reilly was going to miss with that no. kind of opportunity. But it starts with, you know, just a simple chip to the corner. And then it's just that, like, the hyenas on the puck. Like, it's incredible. Yeah. And my favorite part of that shift. So it's, it, it starts as a face-off in the Canucks end of the ice. And Ryan O'Reilly loses the draw. And it, it's a weird combo of Canucks players. I think it's it's... Uh, Pedersen, Sutter, and Miller. I, I'm pretty sure. And they on, go on the goal itself. On the on the faceoff. On the faceoff. On the faceoff. Face I don't know if Sutter's yeah. still on the ice by the time the by the time the play transitions. Both. Well, it's it's Sutter, into the Blues end and back. Right on the goal itself. It's Sutter, Miller, and Pearson, which was a complete. Oh, okay. Sorry, that's that's, that's what it was. It's Sutter. Right. It wasn't. It wasn't Pedersen. It was Pearson, and. So, Pet- sorry. So, Pearson, Sutter, and Miller—they take the draw for the Canucks. Obviously, it's just having Miller out with a righty centerman, I guess, and then a winger you trust to win the draw. It was after a TV timeout. The Canucks had been scrambling in their own end of the rink. You know, Greener obviously puts out a weird sort of you know win the shift kind of line. They obviously don't, but the play goes down to the Blues end of the rink, and. There's this weird moment where, first of all, Ryan O'Reilly loses the drop but makes an unbelievably smart neutral zone play to drop his stick while he's skating backwards and, and forces Tanner Pearson to have to make this really difficult saucer pass that he completes. Sutter gets it into the blues end of the rink. 
and play goes down, and there's this collision where Sutter hits O'Reilly into Pearson, <laughs> and O'Reilly <laughs> bail. Like it's one, it's one of the only times I saw O'Reilly fall down in this series, right? And play goes the other way, and and yeah, I mean both Canucks defenders get stuck on the wall. Uh, Ryan O'Reilly again, it's that reach, it's that weird thing he's got on his stick that just like gives him that extra little bit of control especially when it's in tight to his body but he knocks the puck loose and he's immediately gone like he watches to make sure that Perron's gonna win it but he knocks the puck loose from Stetcher Perron is Perron is perfect Perron is perfect to sort of just like follow O'Reilly around a little bit or or really it's O'Reilly who follows Perron around because Perron's F1 but Perron creates all that havoc and and O'Reilly's just so good at reaching reading off of it that line is so smart, and putting Jaden Schwartz with them, I mean, I, I think that's given them the best line in hockey. Like, I, I, I'm not just thinking that this is going to be a Canucks team that struggles to come up with an answer for this. Like, if the Blues advance, this is going to be an issue everybody faces. I don't think it's an easy answer for a Vegas Golden Knights team. I don't think it's an easy answer for Nathan McKinnon. Like, that's how good I think O'Reilly's playing. I think he's the best two-way player in hockey right now. Uh, I mean, that's... I think Bo, like I think Bo Horvat's played really well in this series, and that head-to-head matchup was a clear advantage for O'Reilly. I don't know how you can be that like as good as Bo Horvat's playing as well as he played last night. Like I thought he played really well last night against O'Reilly, and it just kind of doesn't matter against this guy right now. It's just it's freakish. Honestly, it's freakish, and you know we're, we're sort of at a stage where I think we now know that. Like we now know sort of the basic shape of the series and how the Canucks are going to win it if they're going to win it. And it's going to be, you know, that power play. It's going to be Jacob Markstrom and it's going to be getting just enough offense elsewhere uh, to make it work. But boy, I just, I, you know, they just didn't have enough. They haven't, they haven't challenged Jake Allen nearly enough at this point. Um, the Blues just didn't make, make enough mistakes and the Canucks certainly didn't do enough to force them into it on, in game four. Right, and and so you, know, you and I are both on the front lines. You're there in Edmonton. I'm hosting a ton of radio these days, and and just you know you get enough feedback uh, in the show, social channels to get this sort of sense of impending doom, which is unfortunate because it was so exciting to see the Canucks eliminate Minnesota in overtime and sort of have those feels of you know moving on and playoff hockey and all those things. And at two nothing against the Blues, you know I think there was this sense of like. Oh my God, like the Canucks kind of got away with this, but they've got a 2 nothing lead on the St. Louis Blues. And then as we talked about, they're a shot away in overtime in game three and how quickly it turns. And so, you know, let them play the games. Like, let's see how it goes. It does feel to me like if Ryan O'Reilly continues to play anywhere close to the level that he's at right now, you know, it's hard for me to see a pathway to two more victories in this series for the Vancouver Canucks. But you know, I'll let them play the game. I'm not going to write them off. And as you talked about, like, you know, Jacob Markstrom, the way that he performed back-to-back, like, that's a that was a really good sign, right? Like, a lot of talk around, not so much the Demko talk. I wasn't ever buying into that. But there, I think there was something to back-to-back games. You know, he struggled in the back-to-backs against Minnesota. You know, was this going to be an issue? We've talked about team fatigue. And Markstrom was really good again. Like, Markstrom turned in a really good... 24-hour span. I mean, 49 shots in that Game 3 game continued to give them an opportunity. 
and was there for them again. Like, that game could have absolutely got away from the Vancouver Canucks, but Jacob Markstrom was into it. So that's an encouraging sign for the Canucks, and he's going to have to stay at that level. And, you know, can he outduel Jake Allen? Yeah, you'd like to think that Jacob Markstrom could be the better of the two goaltenders. 100%. And I'm glad you, I'm glad uh, you brought up Allen, yeah. because, look, Jake Allen, he's a pro, he has had a nice season as a backup, but he's the backup, and he's Jake Allen. Like, you know, the Canucks have to... I'm with you. Like they have to make life more uncomfortable for him. Totally. Yeah. yeah. And 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 so that comes back a little bit to you know those bottom guys, bottom and the forward group. Like yeah, there isn't an expectation of truly generating a ton of offense, but that doesn't mean that you can't spend a few shifts in the offensive end and get to Jake Allen. And I mean McEwen tried, right? Like the that that was a BS call. I, I thought I'm not one that's going to harp on the officials a lot. Like no, Oscar Vanberg. That's a that's a check from behind. That's got to be called, even though it wasn't called earlier in the series. And I do yep. think that, you know, that's maybe the frustration on the part of the Canucks is... For sure. You know, some confusion about what is a penalty, what isn't, but well, I had I, no I wonder. I wonder if the point of emphasis changed, in part because you have Myers and Sergeyev injuries in quick succession. You know, I'm not surprised that it's getting called now than it, when it wasn't earlier. The problem yeah. is, is that that should always be called. Right? Like, that's what's so frustrating about officiating in this league. Like, I don't know why they were lighter on... Like, if you want to understand why they were lighter on hits from behind earlier in the playoffs, it's because there's been a rash of injuries from hits on behind. You know, defensemen and Alex Kalorn, right? Like, all of a sudden, it's sort of, you know, in the news. And, And this is a different environment where the refs are all around each other. The whole time, you know, talking True. about yep. what they're seeing, right? Like, I think that's a dynamic where you're going to see reactions to things that are happening around the league in, in a more sort of succinct way than you usually would. Um, so that's why I think that the point of emphasis likely changed. I, I don't know this. I'm just, you know, sort of trying to empathize. And But that said, what's so frustrating is, like, you don't need... Kalorn and Sergeyev and Myers to get hurt to know that those are dangerous plays. Right, and and to go through a game earlier in the series where Sammy Blay essentially did to Brandon Sutter what Oscar Fantenberg did to Robert Thomas, right. and you know, and then Beagle came in, and then somehow Beagle <laughs> came out of it with more yeah. penalties. You bring up a fascinating point, though, and one that I hadn't thought of because. You know, in this job, in normal times, we travel, they travel. You know, we're always moving around. Like nobody is more transient than an NHL referee and a linesman, like they would never see their colleagues during the course of a regular season, right? Like they're never in the same city. Like they're always on the go to the next game. They're rarely in the same city, two games in a row. And now to be in the bubble and they're probably hanging out with each other. There would be, I imagine a ton of dialogue about what they've seen, what they've called players that they're watching, you know, all that kind of stuff. Like that's just something that wouldn't exist. I mean, they may have a big referee group chat, but you know, to be, to have actual like face-to-face contact and those types of conversations, that's something that wouldn't happen in the normal times at all. Oh, a hundred percent. And then that's why I do think you're going to see more reactive sort of uh, officiating standards. Like, I, I do believe that, right? I, I, how could you not, right? Like, how could you not? You have to. Um, you know, just like just like it's tougher for me to figure out line rushes for two teams at once because I don't have, you know, three, three sets of eyes like I usually do in a press box environment, right? Where I can just turn to you or Patrick and say, hey, like, well, did you guys see that? Am I, do you see Do you see Beagle? Like, do you see Gaudet today? Do you see Gaudet? I don't see Gaudet. <laughs> I don't. We all tweeted at the same time, right? <laughs> That's sort of how it works. Like, 
you know, it's the inverse of that for the officials, for sure. And I do think that's going to have an effect. Um, but, it, but again, I don't think this, other than game two, which I thought was abysmally officiated, I, you know, I don't know that officiating's been at the core of any outcome in this game, and it wasn't even an out, at the core of the outcome in game two. Um, but, you know, I can understand why Canucks fans are getting frustrated watching the series. Like, I get frustrated watching the NHL, period. Like, the, the one that frustrated me was uh, Zach McEachern, you know, being like, what did I do? What did I do? When he'd taken four shots on Elias Pettersson and finally gets called on the fourth one. Right, and it's just like that. Just that reaction, just to me, said everything about what boggles my mind about the way that the NHL game is called, where the game is so often put in the hands of of a McEachern or or a Sammy Blay or an Antoine Roussel, as opposed to an Elias Pettersson or or a Jaden Schwartz. Right, like Jaden Schwartz isn't getting the benefit of the doubt either. The bias tends to be against skilled guys and towards sort of you know this tough hockey uh, and being guardians of tough hockey in the playoffs. And earning it, and it's just like, hey, maybe just, maybe just let, maybe just create an environment where the star players, the best, most exciting guys, uh, are you know most likely to have a decisive outcome on the game. Like, just an idea, because that's what they do in every other professional league. That's what I'd like to see. That's sort of the bias that bothers me the most in the NHL. It's not a bias against one team, uh, because let me tell you this: with Toronto out, uh, I promise you, I promise you. That they're that the NHL would love nothing more than for you know the Vancouver Canucks to make a run here. Like that would be huge for them for a variety of reasons. Uh, there's I, I don't I don't think there's bias against the Canucks. I do, however, think there's a long-standing bias against skilled players just in general with how the game is called. And based on the makeup and the composition of these two teams, I can understand why why fans are conflating the two. All right. Uh, so the Canucks have boiled this thing down. Best of three. They're still in it. They got their hands full. The Blues probably feeling pretty good about themselves. Probably bringing back and channeling some of those vibes from their run to the Stanley Cup final. So we'll see what happens. Game five goes Wednesday. We'll be back to do another VanCast for you uh, after game five. We'll take stock of where the series is. One of these teams will be pushed to the brink of elimination. And, uh, you know, we'll do this now. Post game, the morning after uh, mm-hmm. every game. Uh, for the remainder of this series, and then uh, we'll see where uh, it goes from there. And certainly if uh, it's the end of the line for the Canucks, uh, we'll have lots of material moving forward, working to uh, a busy and strange off-season that'll be in the fall as opposed to the summer. But uh, again, we'll we'll stay away from the big, big, big picture issues around this hockey club uh, until they're done. Let's give them every opportunity. They've won the first two. They've shown that they can beat the Blues. They played them hard all regular season. And so... Uh, you know, if you're a Canuck fan, I suppose uh, you got to keep the faith and give them an opportunity. But uh, that power play is going to have to be better than it was in game number four. Hey, if you're looking for a unique perspective on things that are going on here in the Stanley Cup playoffs, former Golden Knights head coach Gerard Gallant joined Scott Burnside and Pierre Lebrun this week on Two Man Advantage at the Athletic. You may want to check that one out. And just before we run, I must say, I, I hope I, I hope he's asked though. I hope he's asked though why the Vegas Golden Knights look. So much more tactically refined right now. <laughs> I'm sure that question will come up. Yeah, I hope so. Thousand percent. Um, credit to you because we talked about it, and then you gave me permission, and so I did. I took uh, full advantage of uh, tweeting out the picture of you eating the chicken wings. That was uh, one of the, the themes uh, in the last podcast, and it did seem the VIPs appreciated uh, the photo evidence. <laughs> did you see the one guy who had he? I think I think it was Buck Faustin, but maybe it was someone else 
who tweeted out the like, you know, um, what what you when when someone hits like there was a hit on I, I can't remember one of the Canucks young stars, and they were like, when you see that hit against one of the, you know, against Quinn Hughes, let's just call him Quinn Hughes. When you see the hit against Quinn Hughes, and it was the one of me in a mask on my cell phone, as in, as if I was like calling in anger, right? And right. then when you see the Canucks power play go to work, and it was me chomping down <laughs> on the chicken wing. <laughs> I had such a good laugh at that. I was like, oh, that's perfect. Um, but look, you know what? That photo, like, I, I went back to the rink and, and Jeff Vinnick was like, I can't believe you let that photo get posted. You know, like, I was just kidding with you. And I just said, Jeff, it was magic. Like, I had to let it get posted. It would have been a dereliction oh, of my duty to not share yes. that with the world. It's too funny. It's too embarrassing. But it is too funny. And and look, it's it's... It's playoff time. Like, we need that ephemeral material as far as I'm concerned. Uh, the VIPs Completely. deserve it. <laughs> All our VanCast heads deserve it, especially those that have, you know, gone to great lengths to, to do so much good work for us in terms of funny photoshops and good jokes, you know. I, I mean, it's, you know, it's a response. I feel a responsibility, um, you know, to prove to everyone that, in fact, you know, I do not have that superhero body. <laughs> That anyone needed proof of that. <laughs> uh, off day for the Canucks. Uh, I think a much needed off day after going back to back and falling in the last couple of games. So we'll see what they do with their off day. We'll see what adjustments they can make, how they can try to slow down Ryan O'Reilly. They get back at it. Game number five on Wednesday, and we'll be back on Thursday with the next edition of the Vancaster Transfer. It's J-Pat. Uh, I remind you, as always, to check out the comment section for each podcast episode at the Athletic app. And don't forget to rate and subscribe the VanCast on Apple and click on uh, theathletic.com slash Canucks for all of your Vancouver Canucks coverage. Enjoy your day in Edmund Thomas. We'll catch Thanks, up brother. later in the week. Uh, that's going to do it for this edition of the VanCast here at The Athletic and theathletic.com. <laughs> <laughs>